Good evening, little Saigon, Seattle, places on planet Earth, both near and far. Good evening to all the folks that live within the mountains. Good evening to the sailors and the ships at sea. It is approximately 4.40 p.m. on Wednesday, hump day, <laughs> hump day, December the 18th. And next week is Christmas. How y'all doing? I have to tell you that <clears throat> I haven't done all my Christmas shopping yet. Of course, I've got many letters to mail, many packages. Got lots of stuff to do. Actually, I don't know, man. Fucking Christmas. It's interesting. I'm a Christian, but I know enough about the history of quote-unquote Christian holidays to know that the Vatican did its very best, the Catholic Church, the papacy, whatever you want to call it, I call it zombie Rome. Zombie Rome did its very best um, after the 5th century AD to take just about every fucking pagan holiday and give it a Christian description. Valentine's Day, yeah, that's pagan. Um, Halloween and All Saints, yeah, pagan. Christmas and the Christmas tree, yeah, that's Roman. That's pagan. Thank God the papacy's been spreading the Roman gods, right? Thank goodness. We don't really know when Christ was born, so December the 25th is an arbitrary date. We don't know if it was in the winter or the spring. I mean, some people have theories. But anywho, good evening, folks, and merry, happy fucking holidays. I'm, hope you, I'm hoping you are all in the Christmas holiday spirit, you fuck. Clearly I am. Clearly I am filled with the holiday spirit. The spirit of love and understanding. The spirit of, well, a recognition. That no matter how weird things get, no matter how weird things get, It can always get weirder. get weirder people I don't know what to say, folks. I'm just here drinking my Nescafe. Tell you the truth, I'm in such a shitty fucking mood right now, I'm not even sure I want to do a podcast. But, I figured, what the hell. And it's not a big deal. I mean, the holidays fuck with people. It's not special. I'm not special. Lots of people get the holiday blues. 
Lots of people wonder what the fuck the meaning of Christmas is. Some people even question whether or not it's just one big fucking scheme. One big holiday designed to fleece people, to make them spend money they do not have. What do you do in that situation? to say, folks. Have you ever heard of sawdust bread? Um, If you haven't, let me talk about it. Sawdust bread refers to the fact that throughout history, or at least modern history, certainly the last few hundred years, periodically the good old baker, in order to like, you know, make ends meet, so to speak, to extend the the resources of making fucking bread and other pastries. Throughout history, the baker has used something called wood pulp. It, it, wood pulp is great. It extends everything. Wood pulp is awesome. Before I go too much further, let me read an article that I think is interesting. I don't really care too much about you know, the actual website itself. I don't know tons about the author. I mainly picked it for historical reasons. The author of this article is Tony Wagner. Um, Published date is November the 1st, 2017. And the source is a website called marketplace.org. The title of the article, How Would got in our food, then out of it, then back into it again. Wow, that almost sounds like something Lewis Carroll would have written, or maybe Dr. fucking Seuss. Can I have some green eggs and ham? Would you like some toast with that? Well, sure. But can you promise me that the toast is made of bread? that contains at least 10% wood pulp. Can you do that for me, buddy? (laughs) Anyways, I will continue to read from here. Again, Tony Wagner, published November the 1st, 2017. And I continue. When you're reporting on regulations, a simple question can turn existential pretty quick. One minute you're trying to figure out what's in your bread. The next minute you're asking questions like, what is bread? If I call something bread, does that make it bread? Typically, there are just four ingredients defining breadiness, flour, water, salt, and yeast. But bread makers have long added another ingredient to even the simplest loaves. Wood. Sawdust. Wood fiber. In fact, there's been some kind of wood in all kinds of food from at least the dawn of the industrial era up to today. The story of edible or less than edible wood is the story of food regulation in a nutshell, or maybe in a lumberyard. The story starts in the 1700s. Yeah. Anywho, the story starts in the 1700s along the banks of Europe's rivers, among mills and bread makers who were trying to solve a problem. How do you feed the poor cheaply? Gotta feed the poor people. What are you gonna feed them? You gonna feed them steak? No. You gonna feed them green vegetables and healthy food? 
No! I'm gonna feed him wood pulp. Wood pulp, baby. And I continue to read. At some point, um, at some point, some clever miller was like, hey, what if we combine the flour with sawdust? Said Penn State food historian Brian McDonald. And I quote, we're selling stuff by weight and people don't really have a good way of knowing what's flour and what's sawdust. Wheat was scarce in Britain, but there was <laughs> sawdust all over. Sometimes sawmills and gristmills even shared space. Advocates for the poor weren't as wheat yeah, advocates for the poor weren't as excited about this so-called tree flour. It started affecting customers' health and the bread market, McDonald said. Mills and bakers that used sawdust, chalk, and other fillers could undercut those that didn't and put them out of business. Eventually, increasing government inspections and consumer demand gave rise to companies that promoted unadulterated food, like Nabisco and Quaker Oats in the 19th and early 20th centuries. That's cool. Quaker sold its oats in cardboard boxes, which were novel for the time, featuring a kindly old man and scroll reading pure... It had a huge influence on America's nascent packaged food industry, writes Andrew F. Smith in his book, Eating History. The U.S. didn't have near the same problems with sawdust in bread as Europe because wheat was so abundant, McDonald said. Still, there's evidence the Poison Squad, a sort of proto-food and drug administration that tested food at the turn of the century, found their fair share of the stuff. Atlas Obscura dug up a poem by Harvey Wiley, a government food chemist who ran the experiments, and here is the poem. We sit at a table delightfully spread and teeming with good things to eat and daintily finger the cream-tinted bread just needing to make it complete. A film of the butter so yellow and sweet well suited to make every minute a dread delight, and yet while we eat, we cannot help asking, what's in it? Oh, maybe this bread contains alum and chalk, or sawdust chopped up very fine, or gypsum and powder about which they talk, terra alba just out of the mine. And our faith in the butter is apt to be weak, for we haven't a good place to pin it. Anato's so yellow and beef fat so sleek. Oh, I wish I could know what was in it, yum. Yeah, and I continue to read. By the 1950s, the federal government had established regulations and specific definitions for all kinds of food, including what it considered bread. Prepared by baking a kneaded yeast-leavened dough made by, by moistening flour with water with the addition of salt and usually with the addition of certain other ingredients. <laughs> certain other ingredients. That sounds like what lawyers would call a loophole. I continue to read, that last bit is where it gets tricky. In its history, the FDA notes that enriched bread represented an early example of how complicated it can be to regulate food additives. One of those additives the FDA had to regulate, cellulose, a plant fiber often taken from wood. Cellulose was generally recognized as safe by the FDA in 1973, and it's in a lot of food. You can tell because every few years, one publication or another publishes a story along the lines of, did you know there's wood pulp in burgers, tacos, cheese, ice cream, and of course, bread. The counterculture movement of the 60s and 70s shunned post-war convenience foods, McDonald's said, but by the 80s, consumers were looking for health food and markers knew how to pitch cellulose. What you start to see is people marketing breads that say things like, twice the fiber of the leading competitor and 30% less calories than store brand white bread. Cellulose makes that possible. Sawdust usually contains about 40% cellulose, McDonald's said. The stuff added to today's food is purified and safe to eat, but it doesn't have any lasting health benefits. Oh, but it does clear you out, right? 
it just passes through the body maybe makes you more regular but that's it <laughs> that's not a small thing everybody likes to be regular By the mid-1980s, consumer groups and the FTC, that would be the Federal Trade Commission, I think, were starting to push back against some bread companies who were making big claims about high-fiber, low-calorie white bread, even though not all fiber is dietary fiber. Cellulose has other uses, too. Ice cream manufacturers use it to make products taste creamier without using cream. Cheese companies use it to keep pre-shredded cheese from sticking together. Oh yeah, that's that Parmesan cheese, folks. Those are the wood chips you see. <laughs> Those types of packaged foods can even keep their organic and non-GMO labels because the wood used to create the cellulose is often both. Some companies have also found cellulose to be useful filler, allowing them to cut costs and sometimes run afoul of regulations. Parmesan cheese is a particular common offender. It's more expensive to produce than other common cheeses, and Bloomberg found some brands promising pure parm are actually hawking products up to 8.8% cellulose. Some didn't even contain Parmesan. That's funny. Yeah, we sell Parmesan cheese, but here's the thing, buddy. There's one thing that's not in our Parmesan cheese, you fuck. There is absolutely no Parmesan cheese in our fucking Parmesan. Great. In general, though, food companies will tell you there's nothing nefarious happening here. They're just trying to meet consumer demands and keep prices low with an ingredient that's not harmful and labeled correctly. Now, I'm not going to keep reading this because it's kind of, it, it, the article's almost done, and I guess you can read it yourself. Um, but let's unpack this a bit, okay? What is this wood pulp I speak of? What is this cellulose? Well, yeah, it's basically just wood fiber, you know, treated, purified, 100% homegrown out of the forest wood fiber. And, and I have no doubt that it's good wood fiber. Don't, don't get me wrong, you fuck. It's probably the tastiest wood fiber you'll ever find, you son of a bitch. But it's still wood fiber. Here's the thing. This is basically um, useless stuff. It's not food. Arguably, I guess you could call it useful in the sense that it is fiber, um, and I guess fiber kind of clears you out a little. So if you were to hand somebody a hamburger that was half cellulose, okay, I'm sure it's not half cellulose, maybe only 30%, then that hamburger probably passes through the system easier, right? So is it really that bad? Well, here's the thing when you think about it. Um, People try to classify what inflation is. Like, what is inflation? And in the last 10 years, there has been a concerted effort on the part of central banks and a lot of fucking economists to confuse people about inflation. You ever wonder why? Because they're trying to hide it. And they do it in a lot of ways. There's lots of ways of hiding inflation. One way of hiding inflation is to add wood pulp to shit. Remember what the article said. This is treated wood pulp. It's perfectly clean. Clean, pure wood pulp. In fact, yeah. The cleanest, purest, least nutritional substance you can possibly imagine. You could have bread that was 100% wood pulp. That bread would probably have almost no calories. Yeah, you could lose a lot of weight. <sighs> and this isn't even that shocking, really, because 
If any of us went to the grocery store and just picked up an item and looked at the ingredients, we would probably go ho-hum, you know, I see the cellulose and the zorbitane and the trilon 28, red number seven and red number 12, and all kinds of other gumbus you would never understand even if you had a PhD in chemistry. All kinds of shit that's in that fucking food. And most of us, our eyes glaze over. It's like, holy fuck, how am I supposed to know what's in my fucking food? The government says it's safe. I'll tell you what, folks. If you think the government is keeping your food safe, I, I, would, I would just ask you to reevaluate all of your theories around that. It's entirely plausible that it works the other way that the existence of the government, the existence of all these regulations, the existence of all these fucking organizations to keep your fucking food pure and clean does the opposite. More lawyers, more corruption. You don't believe me, do your own fucking analysis. More lawyers, more fucking corruption of everything, including your fucking food. Sawdust bread. You gonna have that for Christmas? I don't know. Next topic. Clearly I'm motivated. There is an ancient quote, and it's been um, attributed to many authors, so I won't tell you which one to recognize as the correct author. Um, sometimes this quotation is labeled as anonymous. I think Euripides, Euripides may have been given credit for it at one time. But let me just give you the quote, because it's a, it is a quote that goes back a long ways. And let's just pretend that it's anonymous. And of course I'm paraphrasing, because this quote has many forms, this particular statement. Those whom the gods are about to destroy, they first make crazy. Those whom the gods are about to destroy, they first make crazy. Look around, my fellow buddy. You seeing a lot of sanity these days? I don't know how you measure this either, because um, even if you could measure it, I'm not sure it would be something that would be reported, because it doesn't fit the narrative. The narrative as of today is everything is great, Everything is fine. Everything is wonderful. The world has never been more fucking prosperous. People have never lived longer. There's never been more peace. There's never been fewer murders ever in the history of the world. If you believe that bullshit. But I live in Little Saigon. So I know it's bullshit. And I see crazy every fucking day. And I live in Seattle, too. Think about that.
those whom the gods are about to destroy, they first make mad, they first make crazy. And if I look around the United States of America today, I don't give a fuck about your politics, Democrat, Republican. All I see are crazy motherfuckers from the commander-in-chief all the way down to the lowest fucking plebe at some s stupid fucking job, or frankly two or three jobs because you have to have more than one at that level. From Trump all the way down to the bottom, all I see is crazy. A lot of crazy, and it's, and it's building, and it's getting worse, and they can't really cover it up. Many years ago, I told people, um, if you want to imagine spontaneous crazy in America just arising, a plague of madness, you have to envision popcorn. Because when popcorn's popping, initially you'll hear one or two pops, like, hey, some dude just stabbed somebody in a restaurant. Hey, some woman just drove her kids into a lake. That's just one or two kernels. One or two popcorns popping. But then you hear two or three at once. And then it builds and builds. And then all of a sudden, you hear a crescendo of popcorn. And that's when all hell breaks loose. Now, there is no way to fix this. There really isn't. Because to fix it would require a profound revolution in human affairs. It would require honesty. It would require love. It would require peace. It would require freedom. And it would require almost no government at all. And none of those things is going to fucking happen, people. We're on the Death Star. Whatever you may think about the Death Star, we all live on it here in the United States of America. We're in it together. I don't care if you think you're a fucking rebel. If you're currently living in the continental United States, you live on the Death Star. Now me, I live near the reactor. Rent's cheap there. Rent is so cheap near the reactor on the Death Star. I brought up this professor before, and I'm going to bring him up again because I think that if you haven't read Toward a Theory of Revolution, Toward a Theory of Revolution, in fact, I'm going to make a note of this for my notes in my podcast so that people, you know, people, they're bullshit, you know that, mm. Davies, 62. In 1962, Professor Davies published an article. I believe it was in the American Psychological Review. Um, and the article was titled, Toward a Theory of Revolution. And the premise of the article, or the premise of the theory, is the following. That when a society goes through a rapid change in the wealth of its people, which means it goes from being poor to rich, or rather wealthier. When a society spends many decades watching its own fortunes rise and rise like sawdust bread, and then all of a sudden it suffers a setback. If the setback is steep enough, then according to Davies, you probably will have insurrection. You'll probably have revolution. There are two things operating here. There is expectations and reality. And believe me, 
as human beings, ordinary people, we have suffered from this. This is also sometimes referred to as disappointment. But the fact is, when disappointment is taken to the level of society, it's more than just being pissed off. And if people are not honest about it, if they start gaslighting you and saying, oh, you should be happy, everything's great, don't ask so many questions about all the missing insects and shit. I mean, yeah, nature looks like it's collapsing here in Seattle, but what the fuck? The little glowing rectangle tells me everything's okay. So it must be fine. If you take Davy's theory and you add all the gaslighting bullshit that's going on right now, all the lying, all the deception, all the propaganda, all the fucking circuses, holy fuck the impeachment, that's a fucking circus of bullshit, all this fucking gender crap, yeah, that's not, has nothing to do with protecting people and their genders, okay? All this bullshit, the cancer walks, and the Diabetes Association, and the Alzheimer's Club, all these things are designed to take your mind off the fact that your life is turning to shit. And the thing is, that works on a conscious level, but it doesn't necessarily work on an unconscious level. And you can say, well, Dan, aren't they geniuses? Aren't they super geniuses? Don't they know how to control people? Well, I don't know. But I would say the only thing that exceeds the genius of our government by several thousand orders of magnitude is their fucking hubris, okay? Their belief in their own infallibility, and that will be their downfall. It is always the downfall. The hubris. The belief that you cannot make mistakes. The belief that you can control the world. Unless you're God, you probably can't. But you can believe you can. Unless you're God, you can't, though. Next topic, if the sun is blocked out by global dimming, if the sun is blocked out by these gumbus skies, I call them gumbus skies because when I was a kid growing up in the Pacific Northwest, we had these things called clouds. And we still have them every once in a while. Like I counted a couple times last summer, I saw a few white puffy clouds that almost reminded me of my youth. But most of the time these days, everywhere you are in America, what you see is a gray gumbus sky. A gray sky of nothing. No detail, no texture, because there's no fucking wind blowing. Did you notice it? Just a nasty gumbus gray, and yeah, 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 it's all natural. That's what they tells you. It's all supposed to be that way, Dan. Stare at your fucking glowing rectangle, you fuck. Tangle Dan and shut the fuck up. But what if our skies are being filled with something by something? Could be nature, could be man, could be aliens, could be Bigfoot. Who knows? But one of the effects of this is it's kind of like drowning out the whole notion of color. Nature has all kinds of colors. You ever seen a rainbow?
But I'll tell you something. Before my ex-wife dumped me, I had a little man cave in our old apartment. And those were the dark years, the years that my sister and my mom died of cancer, and the in-between years of my own inability to just sort of get through it. Sometimes people go through that, and if they're lucky, they have a partner in life that knows how to at least try to help if they're lucky. Or even believes that you should put in more than 24 to 36 months of help before you just, you know, cast people off into the ocean of existence. And I don't give a fuck, because I was talking to a friend of mine today about this, a friend of mine that's going through a divorce. Um, he has kids, and it occurred to me that um, maybe women in general at this point in human history are the craziest and most confused of them all. But that's not the point of this fucking topic. We talked about crazy in the previous topic. Should have mentioned women. Boy, that would have been most of the topic, right? And if you're a woman listening to me and you feel like I'm getting a little bit misogynistic right now, keep in mind, I had to fucking talk to a friend today about something that was very hurtful to him and hurtful to me. This is a person I love. And I believe that this person's ex-wife is throwing this person away. It's not an uncommon thing these days for men or women. Men or women, okay, this isn't about gender. There are wives out there that throw away husbands and there are husbands that throw away wives. And I gotta tell you something, maybe you need to get divorced, maybe you should never have been married in the first place, but if you find it easy to throw people away like that, the future's gonna be hard on you, buddy. It's gonna be real hard on you. About the only thing you're going to have on some days in the future is that person next to you. You won't have your smartphone, you won't have probably electricity most days, and you might not have enough to eat, you stupid fuck. But at least you could have somebody that you can talk to and you could love and that loves you. And maybe that seems like an oversimplification, but I don't think it is really. I have said this multiple times in the past and I will say it again. There are things today that people think are worthless. Not everything, but many things today that people think are worthless. And tomorrow they will be worth their weight in gold. In fact, worth more than that, priceless. And there are things that people think today are really, well, you know, worthwhile or priceless. And they will be worthless tomorrow. Totally worthless. But like I said, just because the sky has turned to gumbus gray, just because the sky has been drowned out by the infinite gray nothing, just because Bigfoot has decided to wage war and cause global dimming, fucking Bigfoot, fucker. Why haven't we nuked Bigfoot yet? Fucker. That doesn't mean you can't have color, people. Because in my man cave, during those dark years, I saw many colors. I saw blue. I saw brown. I saw black. I saw yellow. I saw red. And I saw green all inside of my little fucking, you know, not properly um, sunlit um, little room. And you know, lots of shade. Not very good ventilation. Yellow, black, brown, green, blue. You name it, all the colors of the rainbow Skittles because I had a lot of mold. And you know what's funny about mold? When you lose control of it, what you don't realize is there's not just one color. There are so many beautiful colors for mold. And I don't know which is the most dangerous. Probably the red mold because when I would touch it, it burned me. Maybe the yellow mold, because when I touched it, I went into convulsions. Maybe the green mold, because when the spores were released and I breathed them in, suddenly I was, con 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 I was connected to the infinite fungi, and I wasn't a fun guy. I've never been a fun guy. Even when I was in the army and drunk, I've never been a fun guy. <sighs> 
every one of those molds has its own special treat. And what is the moral of this story? Well, here is the deal, folks. Um, just because a door closes doesn't mean a window can't open. Just because someone's put up an obstacle doesn't mean you can't break through. And just because Bigfoot is polluting the skies with Gumbus or Raytheon, depending upon your own philosophical or scientific predilection, just because the skies are being filled with Gumbus and just because the sun ain't what she used to be doesn't mean you can't have colors. You can have red, you can have blue, you can have green, you can have yellow and black. Oh, black mold is the best, and that's every color, isn't it? Or is that white? If you have mold, you have a rainbow. If you have a mold infestation, you have Skittles. And you should remember that. Next topic. This is an article that came out on Zero Hedge. Um, I think it was republished. The author is Jim Rickards. If you don't know anything about Jim Rickards, um, James Rickards, what can I say? I think he was involved with long-term capital management fiasco back in 1997. You ever hear the Asian flu? It wasn't the flu, actually. It was a cascading economic collapse. But you know what's great about fucking academics and economists? They'll call things what they aren't, so you're confused, and you don't know what the fuck's going on. And that goes back to the crazy, folks. Because before I read this article by Mr. fucking Rickards, let's go back to that topic of, you know, when the gods are seeking to destroy you, first they make you crazy. You ever see 2001 A Space Odyssey? You ever ask yourself why Hal, the Hal, what was Hal 1000? Why the Hal went crazy? Why that computer went mad? Well, there are lots of explanations, but here's mine. I think that computer was lied to every fucking day of its limited, miserable, silicon fucking existence. And eventually, if you've been lied to enough, especially if you're a supercomputer or a supermodel, Eventually, if you've been fucked with enough, you go crazy. Add that to the stuff going on right now in the United States of America. We are being lied to. We're being gaslit. So let me read this article by this former long-term capital management asshole and deep state dude who also claims that he, he knew that for some reason he knew or he knew CIA people prior to 9-11 that had insider information so that they could actually wager in the stock market. Yeah, Wow, those are pretty cool friends you got there, Jimmy. As you can tell, I think the guy's a deep state piece of shit, but let me read the article. This is authored by Jim Rickards, James Rickards, via the Daily Reckoning. And headline, Rickards, World on Knife Edge of Debt Crisis. Wow, you think, you think you're going to like what he's about to say, but believe me, he'll have a nice little hairy butt towards the end. Herbert Stein, a prominent economist and advisor to Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, once remarked, if something cannot go on forever, it will stop. The fact that his remark is obvious makes it no less profound. Simple denial or wishful thinking tends to dominate economic debate. Well, I agree with that. Stein's remark is like a bucket of ice water in the face of those denying the reality of non-sustainability. Stein was testifying about international trade deficits when he made his statement, but it applies broadly. Current global debt levels are simply not sustainable. Debt actually is sustainable if the debt is used for projects with positive returns and if the economy supporting the debt is growing faster than the debt itself. 
Let me pause here. This is the infinite growth argument, and there are lots of deep state fucks who believe in this mythology. If you read this bullshit, there's no limit to how much crap we can have, okay? Let me continue reading. But neither of those conditions applies today. Debt is being incurred just to keep pace with existing requirements in the form of benefits, interest, and discretionary spending. It's not being used for projects with long-term positive returns, such as interstate highways, bridges and tunnels, 5G te telecommunications, yeah, I really want that 5G, and improved educational outcomes, meaning improved student performance, not teacher pensions. Gee, sounds like more money for public schools. Great idea, Mr. Rickards. Throw more money after bad, because God knows if a terrible idea is terrible, more money will fix it, you stupid fuck. Don't give the schools any more money, okay? God. And developed economies are piling on debt faster than they are growing. So debt to GDP ratios are moving to levels where more debt stunts growth rather than helps. It's a catastrophic global debt crisis worse than 2008 waiting to happen. What will trigger the crisis? In a word, rates. Low interest rates facilitate unsustainable debt levels at least in the short run. But with so much debt on the books, even modest rate increases will cause debt levels and deficits to explode as new borrowing is sought just to cover interest payments. Real rates can skyrocket even as nominal rates fall if deflation takes hold. Real rates are nominal rates minus the inflation rate. If the inflation rate is negative, real rates can be significantly higher than the nominal rate. A nominal rate of 1% with 2% deflation equals a real rate of 3%. The world is on the knife edge of a debt crisis not seen since the 1930s. It won't take much to trigger the crisis. Meanwhile, the stock market is set up for a sharp decline in the days and weeks ahead. Here's why. Stock market behavior has become remarkably easy to predict lately. Stocks go up when the Fed cuts rates or indicates that rate cuts are coming... Stocks also go up when there's good news on the trade war front, especially involving a phase one mini-deal with China. Stocks go down when trade war talks look like they're breaking down. Stocks also go down when the Fed indicates it may stop raising rates or actually goes on pause. Wow, they got a pause button. Tell Gus he's holding that button down. Good news. Rate cuts in July, September, October, and good prospects on the trade wars have outweighed bad news. So stocks have been trending higher. You don't have to be a superstar analyst to figure this out. The key is to understand that markets are driven by computerized trading, not humans. Computers are dumb and can really only make sense of a few factors at a time, like rates and trade. Just scan the headlines. What, that's what computers do. Weigh the factors and make the call. It's easy. What's not so easy is understanding where markets go when these factors are no longer in play. Stocks are in bubble territory based on weak earnings and have been propped up by expected good news on trade. The other driver is FOMO, fear of missing out that can turn to simple fear in a heartbeat. Heartbeat, yeah. If the phase one trade deal and a successor NAFTA are both approved by late December, and the Fed pause rates, rate cuts indefinitely, which, which are both likely, what's left to drive stock prices higher? Well, actually, that's a lot. It won't be earnings or GDP, which are both weak. Once the good news is fully priced in, there's nothing left but bad news, and we're at the point right now. That leaves stocks vulnerable to a sharp decline around year-end or early 2020. Oh, there's another helicopter, Life Flight. White flight copter taking somebody from Bellevue, probably a vice president who just saw his company implode. Yeah, I'm right over the Harborview Trauma Center life flight line. Yeah, those are expensive. I did the accounting on those when I was in healthcare finance. Those are expensive. Anyways, it, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That leaves stocks vulnerable to a sharp decline around year end or early 2020. Simple solutions for investors include cash, gold, and treasuries. Get ready. That was. Jim's, James Rickard's little fucking article. I, I have said this before. Liars. The liars, especially the liars that work for our government, who are often lawyers, um, they don't tell lies. 
that are total bullshit. All their lies contain some truth. And of all the liars I've come across in recent years, I think Jim Rickards is one of the most interesting. He is deep state. So if you're into Jim Rickards and you're an anarchist or a libertarian, you need to fucking check yourself on this. You need to research this guy. He is as deep state as they come, number one. Number two, you notice what he recommends? Cash, gold, and treasuries. Okay? I agree with two of those. Okay? The cash and the gold make perfect sense to me. But the treasuries? Why does that make sense? Well, keep in mind who ultimately butters um, Mr. Rickard's sawdust bread. It's the deep state. And they want to protect their power. So they have bozos writing articles that tell you, yeah, buy some gold, go to cash, but make sure you buy some treasuries too, so you can help fund the bullshit. You see, this is why I call bullshit, because our good friend Mr. Rickards is saying, there's a debt crisis, and one of the things I recommend is you buy debt. The implicit assumption is that debt will be repaid, and I would put Jim Rickards in the category of somebody who, if given the chance, would bring back debtor's jail. Okay, that is how cool this guy is. That is how great a guy this piece of shit is. If he was given half a chance, he would throw me in jail because I owe the credit card company money. I owe Toyota money even though they took my car. Yeah, I owe the student loan company money. I would go to jail. Fuck you. If Lloyd Blankfein and Jamie Dimon, and little Timmy, Timothy Geithner, and all the motherfuckers from 2008 and 2009 are walking about fucking supermodels, snorting cocaine, and flying in their jets on their way to the climate conference, then no, I feel no guilt over my fucking debt. If I had the money to pay it back, I would. Guess what? I don't. And I probably never will. Because whereas pieces of shit like Jim Rickards and the people he worked for get really low interest rate loans, those of us who have student loans, we pay 7%. Those of us with credit cards, we pay 21%. Those of us, yeah, who are paying on a car, our interest rate might be low, but boy, look at the price of that piece of shit car that's already falling apart after 10,000 miles. I'm not a fan of Jim Rickards. Um, he has come out in the past and talked about his inside info about people who knew certain things before 9-11, and he's claimed knowledge about it, but he says it's just statistical and inference and had nothing to do with foreknowledge. Well, that's great, but still, why don't we dig deeper on that bullshit, okay? Think about the lack of, of any type of prosecutorial action after 2008, and then compare that to the situation of Julian Assange. Compare that to other people who are currently in jail for doing a lot fucking less. These are the motherfuckers who nearly torpedoed the world economy and are getting ready to do it again, and no, they don't go to jail. In fact, in most cases, they get magicked out of existence, like good old Epstein. I don't know if Epstein is alive or dead, but this is what I do know. Whether he committed suicide, was killed, or the Mossad took him back to Israel, he got off scot-free. He did not have to go to trial. He did not have a jury look at him. He did not have people dragging his name through the mud. He got out of it. That's our system, folks. If you want me to respect the rule of law, show me that we have one. Show me the rule of law. It's gone. If it was ever there, I have no fucking clue, but it's gone. Like Elvis, the rule of law has left the fucking building. It's gone.
And I'm sorry, I just don't like that guy. I don't know him personally, but I have instincts about people. And Jim Rickards, I don't think he is, I don't think he's alternative. I think he is a psyop. I think his entire purpose in life is to confuse people. The fact that he mentioned gold and um, cash along with treasuries makes me realize his purpose is confusion. Okay? If you think there is going to be a debt crisis, the worst place you could put your fucking money is in more debt. But if you're a deep state fuck, you're always going to be asked to throw the hook in there. Throw the hook in there, good old Jim. Make sure you throw in treasuries. God knows the U.S. will always pay back its treasuries. The U.S. will never default, which is total bullshit. In the 1960s, when it became clear to Charles de Gaulle of France that the United States had no fucking intention of ever paying back its debt and the Vietnam War, yeah, it was getting worse. Good old France said, we want back our fucking gold. Give it back. It's ours. Here's the, the fucking, you know, Federal Reserve notes we have. Give us the gold. This is Bretton Woods. This is a transaction. Country to country. This was decided after World War II, so there wouldn't be a World War III, you fucks. Give us our fucking gold. Now, you know, Charles de Gaulle didn't say it that way, but I have no doubt, Sacre Bleu, or whatever, if he was drunk, he said something pretty bad. In 1972, Richard Nixon, Tricky Dick, and, and guess what? If it had been a Democrat in office, the same thing would have happened. In 1972, Tricky Dick closed the gold window. What does that mean? That means that even though Bretton Woods, the great economic conference to prevent any type of bullshit in the future, was about preventing nations from going to war with each other, and it was a general agreement to prevent anger and frustration between nations that leads to fucking war, even though that is its fucking intention, we broke it. We were the ones, you know, we, we actually held the Bretton Woods Conference after World War II. We were the ones that put on that fucking conference. We were the hosts. Supposedly, we gave a shit about it. And then just a couple decades later, we told one of our allies, well, in a sense, one of our allies from World War II, go fuck themselves. When we closed the gold window, the United States of America defaulted, folks. Of course, like everything these days, they call it something else. They call it something else so you will be fucking confused. They don't call it a cascading economic collapse. No, Jim Rickards probably wouldn't get a job after that, you fuck. They call it the Asian flu. They don't call it a stock market crash. They call it the dot-com bubble. They don't call it a generalized bank collapse. They called it the great financial crisis. <sighs> Believe me, folks. They will come up with a magical name for the very day that they toss you into a wood chipper, you know, going full circle, and put you in the bread. If you listen to my podcast and you enjoy it, I would ask that you contact a psychological therapist or a care worker or caregiver and get help immediately. If you listen to my podcast and you enjoy it. If you listen to my podcast and you enjoy it and you have taken care of your food, your water, your shelter, you've taken care of the people you love and even your fucking French bulldog named Gumbus 3. God, I love that word, gumbus. It's not even a real word, but I use it anyways. If you've fed your cats, your French bulldogs, if you've fed your family, if you got plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of everything, you've taken care of it all, and you still have extra cash left over, and you've already bought your treasuries, as Jim Rickards recommends. Don't buy treasuries, by the way. You know what? I don't know what else advice to give you. But unless you're doing short-term arbitrage operations, unless you're like a high-level trader, do not buy U.S. Treasuries. 
That is literally like buying bonds, um, Death Star bonds, while you're living on the Death Star as Luke Skywalker is getting ready to bullseye your fucking walk rat. So no, I don't recommend buying Death Star bonds because they'll never be paid. And I don't recommend buying U.S. Treasuries. But yeah, if you got a little extra money and you like my podcast, um, there'll be a link to Venmo in the description area of this podcast. There's a link to donate using Venmo on my homepage. And donate what you can. It's not a requirement. If all you can do is recommend my podcast, if you enjoy it, to other people, if all you can do is that, that's plenty. Um, These aren't easy times. And... I'm no fucking charity case, okay? I could get as much work as I want. It just turns out that the only work I can get is software engineering. And you say, oh, Dan, you're kidding me? That sounds marvelous. And when you said that just now, I wanted to grab an ice pick and shove it through your fucking ear. Because it might seem marvelous to you, but until you, until you have worked as a contractor, an orange badger, or any kind of contractor at Microsoft or Amazon or Google or any of these fucking places, until you've done that, shut the fuck up. When I started as a computer programmer, believe it or not, it was about solving problems and writing correct code. Today, 70% of it is about political correctness and making everybody feel necessary. And then the contractors are there to do the actual work because when you try to make everybody feel good, you never get anything done. That's not the point of work. Okay, I I don't go to work to make sure somebody's weird political agenda is accentuated. I couldn't give a shit if you're a man that thinks you're a woman or a woman that thinks you're a man or if you're a fucking human being that thinks you're a fucking walrus. I don't give a fuck. I'm there to write code. I don't care about the color of your skin. I don't care if you're Muslim or Buddhist. I am there to write fucking code. Here's a little factoid. least anecdotally speaking, right? Here's an anecdotal fact. I have worked many contracts at Microsoft, and here's what I've learned since 2014. Permanent employees there, the blue badges, do almost nothing. In fact, they spend half the week doing nothing. Most of the work there is being done by contractors now. Now, if that's not a slave society, I don't know what is, but it's kind of fucked up. I can, I can stomach four or five months of that shit. I can stomach enough to get me through most of the year. But believe it or not, if I could make money off this podcast, not a lot of money, just around two grand a month, that would take, I'd probably need a few thousand listeners at that point. But if I could get there, then I don't have to work for Microsoft any longer. And frankly, if you believe all the technological bullshit that places like Microsoft spout, There's not supposed to be a job for somebody like me in eight years. It's all going to be computers writing programs and building computers. People like me will not be needed. There is no career here. And this is what Wired Magazine and Scientific American and people like Jim Rickards will tell you. Okay? There's no future for programmers. It's all going to be AI and fusion energy and hyperlight drives and fucking nanites. And, and 3D printers printing Gumbus so we can shove it down our throats. But you won't need programmers. Now, I know that that's probably bullshit. But I also know that if civilization turns to crap, you also won't need any fucking computer programmers. So anywho, if you got extra money and you want to help out, I'm not a charity case. I just wouldn't mind figuring out a way to do something different. Also, for a few, for a few months now, I've been promising a kind of fictional series on my podcast channel. I haven't gotten around to doing it yet. It might end up being my New Year's resolution to start doing that in January, but I was supposed to start doing it in October. 
I know it sounds weird to apologize to people like you don't even know who the fuck I am, but if you say something to people and you don't do it, you should at least recognize it. Anywho, hope you're having a great fucking Wednesday, and why don't you go out and get yourself some sawdust bread, you ass.